But where are you really from? A podcast about the Asian American struggle. Hi, I'm Jesse Lin, and I'm Angela Lin, and welcome back to "But Where Are You Really From." This week, we're going to talk about something that is a huge topic for all of us: dating. Dating is such a contentious thing. I think one of the first things that we wanted to chat about dating is this like inevitable question that you get, especially as a person of color, when you're dating other people and they ask you where you're from. Thoughts? I hate it. I mean, I hate it anytime anyone asks me that, but. It is this funny thing because people always like dance around it. Like they're trying to like find the words to not be offensive, and you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god, well I'm from fucking Orange County," and then, but I think what you mean is where my parents are from, which mm-hmm. is Taiwan. Um, but one of the things that's interesting to me about this is like it's not just all white people. Like no, I also not. get this question from other Asian people and. Obviously, it depends on like the way they ask, but like it can still be offensive. So, like mm-hmm. I specifically remember in Chicago when I was in business school, and like a random stranger stopped me on the street. He was an Asian dude, and I forget how he opened it up, but he like clearly was trying to hit on me. And either the first or second thing he said to me was like, "Oh, what are you?" And I was like, "Excuse me." <laughs> I'm like, why does that even matter? And why would you make that your like opening line? It's so bizarre. Oh my God. I have to agree with you there. Like, I also think the same way. I'm like, look, I get it. Like you kind of want to figure out like my ethnic background, but come on, like ladies and gentlemen, take note on a first date. (laughs) If that's like something that you have on your list to ask someone and you have nothing more interesting to ask someone that's going to be a hard pass from me. Like, first it should be, like, getting to know each other, like, your basic things that you like and the person that you are. And those weird questions should come kind of, like, after. That's my that's my opinion. Because when I'm getting to know someone, like, I want to know, like, their character. I want to know things that they're interested. I want to know, like all the things that make the person a person that is not necessarily like just your physical traits, because I can see you, I know what you look like. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think it like, it's a question that's very easy and most commonly taken as something offensive. I do think there are like natural ways to get at that question that don't come off as offensive. Like if you're already talking about I don't know, your family or like your travels mm-hmm. or something. And it like naturally comes up because you, or like you offer it up. Yeah. It like is related to what you're saying, mm-hmm. then that's fine. But like, yeah, I don't love it when people just, especially when it's one of the first things they ask. I always wonder like, why do people ask that? Why does that seem like so high up on like a list of like first date questions that people get asked? I mean, the way I interpret it is, like, it's still a lot of, like, exoticism, even though, like, Asians are everywhere now. But, like, if you're not a person of color, especially, like, the fact that you have an answer is, like, something kind of exotic. So I don't know, but um, I do think it has to do with just, like, foreignness and, like, a curious way. I don't know. Yeah. 
I think is a very good way to ask a question if you're trying to understand more about the person's background in general, but they don't ask you about necessarily like your childhood or like what what was it like growing up as a child of like first generation immigrants. Like there's no extension of the conversation where it appears to be like an interest about you and your life. Basically what we're saying is that if it's going to come up early, it better be organic. And if it's later, that's more more natural probably after you've gotten to know each other better. Agreed. We just talked a little bit about this first question, which I don't think either of us find particularly appealing. But one of the things that we just touched upon was the idea of being Asian as being exotic. And a lot of the times there is a lot of like fetishizing, fetishizing? Yeah, I think it's that one. (laughs) Fetishizing of the fact that you are an Asian person. And it's very, very, very deeply uncomfortable when you go on a date with somebody who's like super, super ultra into Asian things. For me personally, because as soon as that happens, like as soon as someone's like, oh, I love to watch anime. I love to read manga. Uh, I went to Japan like three times in the last year. That's like, mm mm-mm red flag immediately because then i'm like okay like are you actually interested in dating me as a person or are you just mm-hmm. interested in like tokenizing me as another per- another thing to add to your like shelf of asia things mm-hmm. which if i can't make that dis- delineation i'm out yeah no i feel you i think i've like as someone who rejected their asian identity as like a younger adult right or young high school through like young adult life and was always trying to date outside of the race. I think the concept of yellow fever has always been at the top of my mind. And it's, it is a funny concept because if you think about it, me wanting to date outside my race is almost like the opposite of yellow fever, like whatever yellow fever is, but for like white people, because I was like exclusively excluding you know, Asian people in mm-hmm. what I was trying to date. Um, but I didn't really think about it that way until like I examined it a bit more. But the irony of that is that then when I was looking to date non-Asian people, I would always be on the alert of like, oh, are they just into me because they have yellow fever? Because that like mm-hmm. shit out of me. And I have dated people who like you could classify as having had yellow fever. And it's something that really annoys me because it's just like what you said. It's like, do you even see me or do you just see Mm -hmm. like someone else that like fits this standard that you typically go after that like helps you fulfill some sort of weird fantasy? Um, But what I will say is that there are people that like actually do enjoy those pieces of like Eastern culture and it's not just like a surface level thing. So, for example, <laughs> Dish. my fiance. <laughs> Ooh. I mean, my mom loves Japan. That's like his shit. Mm-hmm. But it's not like he loves all of Asia, and it's not like he like is all about everything Asian. It's it's mm-hmm. like specific pieces of the Japanese culture that like he is really drawn to because it's 
it aligns with his personality. So he's like super Zen. So he like loves the like concept of Zen and like keeping things minimalistic and blah, blah, blah. And like meditates and things like that. So like he like picks and chooses things about the culture mm-hmm. that like resonate with him, resonates with him. And so, but I will like, when I first learned that he was like all about Japan, I definitely was like, ding, ding, ding. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think just like dig a little bit because I, I will say I was like very quick to judge with people who I like assumed mm-hmm. had yellow fever. I think there's still a fair number of people out there who really do just have yellow fever and they're just like going to date all the Asian people ever because that's just all they do. Um, and they don't have any appreciation for Asian culture in like a real mm-hmm. sense, but there are some people that can defy that. I'm marrying one of them. I mean, I think both you and I have dated and continue to date people outside of our race. And that oh, is damn. something, yeah, sorry. Um, that's an interesting thing to talk about though, because of how it relates to our identities and how our like parents have raised us and what their expectations have been on us in terms of like our future partners and the futures that will live together with these people. Right. Um, I definitely grew up with like really heavy expectations laid down on me by my parents in terms of who I should be dating and and end up marrying and spending the rest of my life with. And it's been like, it, it was like ingrained in my brain since I was in the like potential age for dating, maybe like 12 or 13. And they were like, you can only end up with a, their ideal was a Taiwanese Mandarin speaking boy. You know, it's funny because I feel like we have pretty different parent expectations when it comes to dating, or I just had like blinders on for most of my life regarding those expectations. But I feel like my parents didn't talk to me at all about dating. Generally speaking, like there was still an expectation set because I have older cousins. And I remember that obviously like, yes, like they want a similar race girl that can speak mandarin but the truth is that i feel like generally the family was like pretty hands-off um regarding like who they wanted me to date well that's nice yeah (laughs) that's nice for you i will say yeah i think that i understand my parents desires enough to understand what they want out of a person that I will date, which is, I think they want, obviously they want someone that will take care of you because at some point they're going to be too old and they want to know that you have a partner that will look after you. And I think that's like every parent wants that. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is like, I think my mom is much more realistic than my dad and probably your parents. And she, she understands that like, there's probably not really a high chance that I will end up dating an Asian boy that can speak flawless Chinese. (laughs) So she did tell me this one time, she was like, it's cool, like whoever you date, but I would prefer them to be like a very like bubbly, gregarious person. And so from that perspective, like I kind of get it. Like she, she gets that there's like this impossible thing. There's no way that we're going to be able to match up with somebody that's like this ideal Asian expectation, but at least you can bring somebody into the family that's like friendly that's willing to engage with you, even if there is a language barrier. And I think that that's what 
my mom has set the expectation as. And she wears the pants for my dad in the dating <laughs> sphere. Funny. So I take her word as like what they both want. Well, that's nice that your mom has such a progressive <laughs> outlook. Um, I think my parents have had to shift their outlook because obviously I'm marrying someone uh, and he is not Taiwanese or Chinese. Mm -hmm. But I can empathize with where my parents were coming from of like why they were trying to restrict me into that kind of a person. Mm -hmm. It was definitely language barrier and like cultural understanding. Yeah. Like my mom had expressed to me that she wanted to be able to have like deeper conversations with whoever mm -hmm. I was actually going to be with versus like pleasantries essentially. Um, and I will say I like, I always kind of blew that off until I met Ramon. <laughs> well, because because his family doesn't speak English, so I have to speak Spanish mm -hmm. with them. And when I first met them and we were having conversations, I definitely could feel that where I was like, I have so much I want to say, but I don't know how to say it because I don't mm -hmm. have that vocabulary. And so mm -hmm you don't even like fully know who I am because I can't express yeah. it. So I definitely empathize with like the original sentiment, but it did feel limiting to me when I thought about like who I could end up with. Cause love in general is such a like fickle and like difficult and like mm -hmm. numbers based thing. Like, you you have to date so many people to find the right person and you still might not find that right person after like dating mm -hmm. a million people so to say that i could only you know even have a certain small kitty pool version of like the broader pool of candidates was was something difficult for me to reconcile with at the time okay well let's talk about the whole like being able to relate thing because yeah. i feel like neither of us have really dated people of the same race but I think that with the whole idea of relating I I do feel that when you are having a conversation with an ABC like yourself there are so many more things that you don't need to explain to them mm -hmm. and you have like this immediate connection where you can like go through stories about things that are related to an ABC experience where you don't have to like build the foundation of it. It's kind of like an inside joke, but you don't have to like establish mm -hmm. a rapport to have that, that understanding. And I do find that that's very refreshing because like you can speak to someone who's gone through the same kind of trials and tribulations and have an immediate connection there, as opposed to trying to explain that experience to someone who does not have the same life experience it's like very hard and difficult. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. I, I like you, have not had like a serious relationship with anyone Asian, but I've had dates and I've had, you know, casual whatevers. And I will say, yeah, I, I can relate to what you're saying about like um, not having to say anything it's like an unspoken connection that you already have built in just because you've had that similar lived experience as them and it's weird because it kind of gives you this false sense of like you know them or you're like mm -hmm. you're like 
closer to them than you would otherwise be with someone else given the same amount of time of knowing this person. But with that said, you and I didn't end up with any Asian people. But like, I I think there is value. There is definitely value in in sharing that. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure that's also why you and I have a bunch of Asian American friends. I mean, those are also relationships and the, Mm -hmm. the like, I know for me, a big part of it is like being able to relate to one another in, in our like experiences in the way our parents brought us up, the you know, experiences we've had in, in life growing up and all that. So I can see it for sure. Do you think that like part of the reason, because I've thought about this, I'm like, well, there are like very many attra- attractive Asian men. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered kind of like why none of them have fell into my dating pool and it's not for and i don't believe it's due to self-selection because like when i was on hinge i was like everybody everybody (laughs) gets a like everybody gets a like but i'm wondering sometimes if it's just that like it's too familiar you know how they say like opposites attract Mm -hmm. and so when you go on a date with somebody that's like has a very similar life experience you're kind of like oh it's like dating (laughs) me and I don't really like that. <laughs> I actually disagree. I okay. Um, I think why it never worked out for me is that I never found someone who was enough like me. Because I think I even mm-hmm. told you this when we were growing up, where I was like, I could see myself ending up with like a like fate would have it. I would end up with like a Taiwanese American who can speak Chinese, but they would have to be exactly like me. Like they would have to be ABC for sure. And they'd have to be like, have a similar sense of humor and like be interested in the similar things and like, and feel like my equal. And I didn't really come across any of those people. There is one, one of the people I am like thinking of in my head that I didn't end up dating um at all but i had a connection with um he's like one of two asian people that i was like i don't know maybe i will end up with this person and it we only really hung out like twice but it's kind of what i'm saying of like you feel this false ish sense of like deeper connection and intimacy with someone when you have those shared experiences so not only did we have the shared like abc experience but he happened to be very similar to me in like he worked in entertainment before he like was trying to do something different with his life and like there were just like i forget all the other things but like there were many things where i was like oh my god are you me but like a dude (laughs) and that was that was like my kind of criteria loosely growing up of like if I'm gonna end up with a Taiwanese or Chinese American person, it would have to be because they're like exactly like me. <laughs> That's so Leo of you. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think it would be like to date somebody that isn't ABC, that's like straight from like Taiwan or, or not I mean straight, but like, you know, originally grew up in China or Taiwan or other Asian country and moved here like halfway through their life. I think there's a difference between someone who is like just moved here within the last year versus someone who moved here as still like a young enough adult that they have like spent enough adult years in America, Mm -hmm. like ingrained some of the Western culture into how they are. Because for example, like in our uh, Pride episode, we had Tong on as our guest and she Mm -hmm. has been in America since like 
masters or whatever. And so mm-hmm. it's just like many years of living in the Western culture, even though she was born in and grew up in China. So I think those are two very different kinds of people because like for me, when I was thinking about this growing up, I was like, I don't think I could date someone who is like fresh from Taiwan or China because just culturally we're very different. And it's something that I always had to talk with my parents about and they never understood because they're from Taiwan. So they like don't get it. But I was like, we would have nothing in common. And they're like, what do you mean? You're both Taiwanese. I'm like, that is totally different. I'm American. Like, yes, my blood and how I look, I am Taiwanese, but like I have a completely different life experience from this person. So to think that we're gonna like automatically hit it off is a little delusional. So that's, um, and we, yeah, we argued a lot about this because they could not see eye to eye with me on it. But if it were someone who lived in America for a few years and like has been Westernized, I think that's very different because then they've, they've, you know, adjusted and they're American in that sense, like America is founded on immigrants. And then they like, you know, embed themselves into our little weird hodgepodge culture that exists here. And so once they've had that experience of being in the West, then we have things to relate to. Well, I think something interesting that you just mentioned while we were talking about that was how your parents were saying like, oh, what do you mean you have nothing in common? It's <laughs> Taiwanese, you're Taiwanese. And that made me think about like how simple things were in the past. Oh like God, that, your, that your compatibility is basically like, oh, did you <sighs> grow up in the same valley that I grew up in? And we both are farmers. <laughs> and we can trade goods and objects with the exchange of your vows. And that was basically it. Versus yeah. like now... There's, girl, there's so many choices when mm-hmm. it comes to dating, like, and we're, and we're talking about dating kind of just within the general framework of like monogamy, marriage and kids, mm-hmm. but there's like so many different kinds of relationship structures that exist now. And so many ways you can date people in terms of the, the relationship structure, but overall, like how you can even access dating in terms of yeah. like apps or like how you can meet and see people the like combinations are just like so mind-boggling that i can't even imagine i cannot imagine putting one of our parents through that process now like i would pay 50 dollars to see that (laughs) that's not a lot of money i would pay more way more money than that well you can match my 50 we can go up to 100 (laughs) yeah no i hear you and i would love to see that that would be fucking hilarious but i also don't think it's I think like obviously as you go back in generations, it gets like simpler and simpler, of course, but I feel like even people of our generation who found their person before apps and online dating became a thing would not know how to exist right now in like this type of modern dating world because Mm -hmm. technology has like completely shifted the way that you are dating to a point where like you you have to act way differently. You're like, the way you have conversations is really different. The way you would like filter people out of consideration is completely different. Cause I have plenty of friends, like, I'm sorry. I I'm like so happy I'm out of the dating game. It's like fucking worse. I hate dating, but when I was still dating, I had friends Thank who were you. like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I had friends who were in long-term relationships or like married 
and they they would be the people who like never had to do apps or online dating ever like they had locked down their person prior to that and i resented the shit out of them when they <laughs> say things like oh i kind of wish i were single right now so i could like try out tinder and bumble and i was like go fuck yourself it's not fun like you are delusional if you think that this is like fun and games <laughs> you're lucky that you're taken <laughs> well i think that's part of the difficulty that the modern world has brought to dating because it's the idea that you can never be safe like the ease of accessing it makes it feel like you can never be sati satiated mm -hmm. with one person and i think a lot of people have this misconception uh, regarding a relationship is that like oh the connection that you the initial connection that you feel with someone is what you ride in that relationship that's not the case the like a relationship is you make decisions to like grow and nurture the relationship and some of those decisions are disgusting and gross and you have to like <laughs> deal with it but that's like part of being in a relationship it's not just riding like an endless good wave to the end of the thing and i think that's what all of these like modern dating concepts relationship structures enable which is that you can easily move on to your next high basically yes. once you're like over the initial peak of whoever it is that you're dating Totally. And that makes it like really hard to like evaluate the right person because you can be like, I'm totally in love with this person now, but I think I could be totally in love with this other person. Yes. And the truth is that you could be in love with like a million people. You just have <laughs> to like pick and choose which relationship you want to nurture. Cool. So this has been fun, uh, but we're going to make it more fun. <laughs> So we're moving into our closing fortune cookie section. And we thought a fun way to close would be to talk about our shittiest, most amusing, weirdest, whatever comes to mind, but one of those dating experiences. Okay. So I haven't had any dates where it was just like a complete dumpster fire experience. So I'm sorry if you guys are listening for that. But I did have a very, very sad stand-up moment. And this was when I was studying abroad in Spain. And so we had been talking for a while on the internet. And he was like, let's meet near the Goya statue outside the Prada Museum. And I was like, okay, perfect. So I showed up there and I was like really excited because like i had been going through a dry spell for a while. And I was like, I just want to see any man and any man to take me do something nice. And he didn't show up. So I was just at the Goya statue by myself, waiting forever. And this was like back in 2012. So this is like before internet phones were like fully, fully available. So I was just on like a feature phone on fucking orange with no balance. So I was like, couldn't even check the internet. Like I was trying to like walk around to all the different hotels, trying to get on my email being like, hello, I'm still waiting here. <laughs> It all turned out fine in the end. Like he basically just overslept because he had just flown in. But yeah, it was like such a sad moment. You did end up dating him, right? Yes, I did. It <laughs> happened the next. So we redid it the next day and it Aww. was fine. But at first I was like, well, this is just great. Like <laughs> that is really sad. And I'm just, I can't help but think that some of our listeners who are like a few years younger than us or way younger than us probably have no idea what you're talking about that like you couldn't get on the internet on your phone oh, yeah. to mm. contact this person. I also remember being in Spain when 
when I did my study abroad and it was like, you bought like 50 total text messages for one month. Text messages. <laughs> well, what's your experience? Okay. Tell our list. Yeah, well, I'll give you a completely different experience from yours. It's not a specific date, but it's a dating experience. And what's funny is that this is with one of the like, two Asian people <laughs> that I have had dating experiences with. So I only went on like two dates with this person and back in New York, like very long time ago, very young. Um, and I was like not in a good place to be dating again. I was like fresh out of a relationship. I was not very charming during these dates because I was just like bitching about this other person essentially the whole time and like mourning about uh, modern dating. And so I don't know why he liked me so much, but he essentially got like really into me really fast. He wrote me like novels of text messages after like the first and second date and about like how much fun he had and how he was going like, to wait for me and he was going to be like a good committing person because I was just bitching about like people not being committal. But I was freaked out and then I, I wasn't feeling it. So I texted him back and I was like, look, you're a nice dude, but like, I'm sorry. It's like, I'm not even in a place to be dating anyone right now. This is not going to work out. So then after that, he added me on both Facebook and LinkedIn. And I felt really bad because I just rejected this dude. So then I was like, fine, I'll like accept you on both these accounts. But that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um so like i remember i like didn't think about him at all and then just like every few months i would get a late night notification like i would wake up in the morning but i would see the notification with a late night timestamp that he like randomly liked something on my wall because it's facebook like way back in the day when you had like you actually posted shit to your wall mm -hmm. but uh he would like something on my wall from like months ago, AKA he was like scrolling through my profile months back to like find out what I was up to in my life. And he would do this periodically, including because at one time I was just like, oh my God, why are you so obsessed with me? Like, why do you keep bothering me? So then I like clicked on his profile. He was engaged to someone at that time and he was still liking my shit in the middle of the night on Facebook. So I, at that point, when I found out he was engaged, I'm like, that's fucked up. And I feel bad for your woman. So I blocked him on Facebook. And I was like, this, I'm not dealing with that. And then lo and behold, like one year later or whatever, I then periodically, it's like once a year now, maybe it hasn't happened for a while now, but like, it felt like it was at least once a year that then I would see on LinkedIn, like this person has viewed your profile. And I was like, bro, get over it. I'm not oh even that simple. We like hung out twice and nothing happened. I don't get it. Wow. I guess you're like the one that got away for him. Apparently, but he didn't even know me. I don't know. It was weird. I'm kind of stalkery, so. <laughs> Okay, guys. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation on dating. <laughs> After 22 episodes, we are taking a short hiatus so that we can recharge our batteries <laughs> and try to regain our mental states, which Corona has terribly destroyed. <laughs> I think the way that we're planning on doing this moving forward is in these like quote unquote seasons. So like the season has been very long because frankly, Jesse and I did not think far ahead enough. 
<laughs> to plan out our episodes and we just wanted to keep chugging along and, and pumping out good content but in the future we're going to do seasons more like this where we like have a set number of episodes and then we need to take a little break because if you want good content our brains need to be relaxed after yes. some you know r&r so so we'll be back for you guys with more content and a new season in early September? Mid-September. So that's our big news. But as always, if you enjoyed our topic today or you have some juicy stories of your own on your dating stories or the way that your parents kind of put pressure on you or whatever else that we talked about today that you have your own personal stories about, please write us in at tellusswhereyou'refrom at gmail.com. The your is Y-O-U-R-E. I'm extra pushing this hard because one of the things we want to do when we come back in our second season is we want to do another one of our reflections episodes where we do the listener spotlights. So we're going to start collecting stories from you all again to feature next season. So please help us fill up our fodder of stories that we can pull from. And if you like writing, we'd love if you could write us a review on Apple Podcasts so that you can tell people why you love listening to our stuff so that other people will give us a shot. Because let's be real, all of us base our decisions on customer reviews on Amazon. So please give us some good reviews on Apple Podcasts so that we can get some new folks into our family. So until mid-September, I can bitches. bitches.